HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, and welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, celebrating one of my favorite streets in New York, uh, K-Town, as it were, but the book about that Korea town and so many more around the country, and just Korean food in general. We have the author, Matt Rodbard. Thanks for having me, Michael. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. And we also have Dookie Hong, the other author, and possibly a, a tour guide initially for this, but now I feel like, Matt, you're, you are... Uh, honorary uh, uh, Korean food tour guide. They've said I, I've, I've switched over to the cause, but we'll see. And so this book, let's, let's talk about New York because we are here. Um, Dookie, your restaurant is here. Um, 32nd Street between 5th and Broadway. What does that mean to the both of you? For me, let me t- I'll, I'll start and then how about you finish Dookie Hong? And Dookie's in Hawaii right now, just FYI. Oh, thank you for, yeah, Shout thanks out. for chiming in I'm from... On, I'm on. The I'm West West Coast. Up Highway One, and <laughs> the scene is beautiful. So I may be a little distracted. Yeah, living the life. But for me, you know, Thirty Second Street was this place I used to go to as a food writer. Didn't know much about Korean food. Uh, my friend Jason O, who kind of turned me on to Korean food, took me there, and um, it was just a lot of amazing food, but a lot of mystery. You know, I thought of I was going to these restaurants serving bone broth that I would find out you know, soon to find out would be called solandong. I went to these restaurants and, and I would have kalbi jim. I'd have you know these long braised short ribs and and really i i was eating it and loving it but then i was at the end of it i was like jason hey what what was that what was that what was that, what was that? and you know as a as a journalist i was just interested in answering these questions um but for you dookie what do you think um yeah no for me 32nd street you know I, you know we're referring to the korea town in new york city I mean, for me, it's home, um, you know, on a, on a cultural level, on a, on a professional level, that's where my restaurant is. Um, but, you know, it's this love-hate uh, relationship that I kind of talk about in the intro where, 
you know, it's, it's, I love it because it's a representation of, and there's a sense of pride and national pride, but it's, you know, we always feel like we can do better. Um, the, you know, the quality and, or whatever, in whatever regards we feel like we can do better. So every time I'm on that block, I'm just like, wow, like, um, I love it, but how can we make this better? How can we kind of, uh, kind of better represent our culture, our food, whatever it, whatever it may be. Yeah, I think outside of the Korean uh, um, you know, society, K-Town has been used in a different way. Like a lot of late nights, a lot of karaoke rooms, a lot of chefs going to Mad for Chicken, which I think is now Turntable. I can never keep the track of it. Yeah. But, you know, the majority of K-Town, I don't think, was explored to the depth that you guys have done with this book. Um, what do people see on the surface level there, and, and how do we get deeper? So we really focused on stepping outside of barbecue. So we know Koreatown is wonderful for barbecue. We love, we love going there and having communal plates of sizzling kalbi and bulgogi, etc. But the book's purpose was to step outside of this barbecue realm and explore a lot of these dishes that you will find in Koreatown, but possibly in a, in a small third-floor restaurant tucked above this 32nd Street or um, you know on 35th Street, which has a bustling Koreatown as well, but it's not the main avenue. So... These restaurants serving juke, which is like a rice porridge, you know that that re- there's a restaurant that serves that that many people don't write about. People are mostly writing about the late nights, but um, but really we wanted to not just talk about the food, but the culture behind it. So there's really a purpose for drinking in Korean culture. You know, everyone loves to drink in Koreatown, and Koreans love to drink. But a lot of times, drinking doesn't just mean getting out, going out, and getting blasted. It's 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 about you know, taking your boss out and drinking and drinking and drinking until, you know, somebody falls. That, that's a part of cr- Korean drinking culture that we find in America. Yeah. <laughs> Dickie's laughing. Have you, were you there last night? With, you're out with your boss in Hawaii. Were you out doing a little bit of that? Did you fall or did, yeah. did you stay? Uh, how's your center of gravity? <laughs> <laughs> it's not, um, being Korean, you, you need a good center of gravity to be functional. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, you know, Matt touched upon it too, you know, Korean barbecue, and we say it all the time, is, is possibly the pizza, burgers, and fries of, of American cooking, and then and then that's it, you know. But and, and as delicious as it is, it's not the whole story. And for us, we really focused on um, just yeah, like like Matt said, we're avid drinkers. We drink a, a crap ton of alcohol for many different purposes. But you know, like he said, it's more for social. You know, we're very Asians are kind of known to be like just naturally antisocial and whatnot, and alcohol kind of. <laughs> You know, uh, you know, kind of brings down the guard a little bit, and and it's great. And um, also noodles, like people forget, like you know, Japanese ramen has been on the up for however many years. But we're avid noodle lovers too. Um, and just like covering that story was was a great experience because we're just like, and I was proud because I was like, yes, this is the story that we want to be told. We're not just the guys that have a grill in the middle of a table and we cook everything there. So. And, and one thing, too, to add about drinking, you know, in, in Korean culture, it's not just about drinking 16 shots of soju and calling it a night. Right. You always have to end with a meal. Like, it's rounds and rounds and rounds. Usually the last, second to last round is the norabang, a karaoke parlor where you're drunk. Then you're going out to something called the pojamacha, which is this uh, kind of Korean tavern where they serve more alcohol, of course, but there's these 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 specific dishes like rice cakes, uh, dokboki or or jjampong, which is a, a spicy clam stew, which uh, you know people will eat to kind of come down, will kind of level things off. There's actually a dish called in the book called hojungguk, uh, uh, which is uh, it's called hangover stew. Is basically the the translation, and it's a it's a very spicy stew. It includes um, ox blood and, and basically 
cubes of blood and lots of beef. Um, but it's really it's it's kind of meant it's meant to, meant to self regulate. Yeah, so it's not accidental drunk food; it's intentional drunk yes. food. They, I mean, really, yes. The the Koreans are are masters at at getting absolutely blasted and shit faced, but then coming back to life and coming back. And there's actually in Korea, there's a whole line of uh, products you can buy in the convenience stores that are meant to be consumed during the during the drinking sessions. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think the the story about Korean food actually starts with banchan. Yeah. Um, you know, getting something sent to the table uh, that, that, you know, you didn't order, um, you didn't expect, but is expected. Uh, tell me about how a typical meal at a Korean restaurant begins. Dookie, you want to hit that? Maddie? You want to do that, Dookie? Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Um, you walk in, um, a typical kind of, you go walk into any Korean town restaurant, um, wherever you are in, in, in the country, you're probably going to be greeted by somebody that doesn't speak English, um, probably of like an elderly, not elderly woman, but probably like mid 30s, 40s woman. Um, you'll be given a menu. Service is not kind of our main um, priority. <laughs> it's just about the food, eat it. You like it, great. If you don't like it, great. Uh, and eat it and get out type of mentality. You sit down and you see um, an array of, I guess, quote-unquote, free food, right? Um, and it's kind of meant to just kind of get your, I would say, in, in the French, cooking would be an amuse-bouche. But amuse-bouche times, I don't know, 12. anywhere from 12 yeah. to 14 <laughs> different places. 35. Uh, yeah, and all of those, all of those are you know different colors. It's visually appealing, different flavors. It's kind of um, at least for our restaurant in the Korean barbecue sense, all of our panchan, our side dishes are meant to be eaten with the meat. So you'll see a lot of acid, a lot of vinegar, something to cut the fat to contrast the meal that you're actually going to have. So, and then, um, yeah. then you'll throw in some some curveballs like potato salad, or <laughs> you know there'll be a pumpkin dish, or there'll be a, usually maybe a fully fried crocker. So. But- a lot of restaurants will throw these curveballs as a way of kind of flaunting their their abilities and and really a lot of Koreans in a dookie you know disagree but will judge a restaurant on the quality of the banchan. Well, you know the biggest curveball for me is corn cheese. I, oh, please man. explain that to me. <laughs> you served at your restaurant on Thirty Two, right, Duke? Wait, what what what, what were we serving? Corn, corn cheese. cheese. Oh yeah, no, it's it's really authentic Korean, you know, mozzarella cheese and sweet <laughs> corn. So we just thought that was fitting in every. Um, no, that that is very um, kind of our restaurant. Um, when I was coming up, we were just like, "What's delicious and can cook while your meat cooks?" And we're not really big on, um, and, you know, Koreans eat a lot of cheese. Like you'll see, like it's this big thing in the past. What do you think, Matt? In the past three, four years, mm-hmm. where like people are dipping everything in cheese, mm-hmm. like the fondue craze, where You'll dip like a marinated spicy pork rib in cheese. Like it's really weird. Like because we know the concept of cheese. For them, it's just like and like unctuous umami flavor, like dipping type of mm. condiment. For us, cheese is cheese. And um, but yeah, Koreans love cheese. I love corn. Um, so it just so it works. Sense. Yeah. You know, I thought it was. You have an interesting culinary path because you started at a very young age, at fifteen, I believe, at. Aron Sanchez's Centrico. So I just thought you were doing a riff on Queso Fundido. Yeah, oh, no, I... <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of Mexican influence. Um, I say that if I wasn't Korean, or if I wasn't in Korean food, I would definitely be doing Mexican food. Because um, that's actually how I started, two years in a Mexican kitchen with probably the best cooks I've ever worked next to. 
um, it'll influence you. So, yeah, I'm, I make a mean uh, cochinita people. Uh, mole, don't mess with me on the mole business. Uh, I'm not going to get into the enchiladas because I, I will go there. But, yeah. And, and one thing. I throw down on Mexican food. And you'll find jalapenos on, as a banchan staple in um, in America. But if you go to Korea and talk about jalapeno, I mean, no, people are looking at you like, what is that? I mean, jalapeno, yeah. what? Yeah. Well, we're going to take yeah. a quick break and we're going to come back and maybe talk about those spicy building blocks of Korean cuisine, okay. the gochujang and all the other yeah. sams and jungs there are. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here again with Matt Rodbard and Duki Hong of the Cookbook Koreatown. So we were going to talk about, you know, gochujang and, and the likes, uh, these building blocks of Korean cuisine. But more importantly, um, what is so lovely about this book, and there's this little written caveat about the photography. <laughs> and you, 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 you're drawn to it. As yeah, absolutely. Um, and like, I didn't feel it was necessary because I understood it from mm. a visual standpoint. But it's so refreshing to see a book like this where reportage trumps studio. You get to see real life, you know, real place, real time mm-hmm. um, image of what Koreatown and Korean food looks like. Well, I'm so glad you you were drawn to that you know we when we set out to to produce this book two and a half years ago uh, the proposal said explicitly <coughs> we don't want to do this in an air-conditioned studio with you know spotify humming and, and six assistants and you know uh 18 dishes a day you know that's not what we intended to do we intended to blow all of our events and then some on traveling around this country dukey and i and then our photographer sam harine uh and just going into the spaces that we were writing about and shooting them and shooting them with permission, shooting them on the fly. Um, <laughs> very, very loose term. Loose term. But, you know, it was pure reportage. We, we went in and we wanted to cover things that we didn't see in Korean cookbooks because the history of Korean cookbooks in America is pretty limited. Either. You know, there's been a few, you know, big ones from, you know, John George and Marja did a book tied to a television show. And, you know, Mengji did a book, who Yuanji is a YouTube star. And, both very good books, and uh, I learned a lot from them in writing this in writing Koreatown with uh, with Dookie, But they just didn't capture the spirit of the Korean food culture in America. Yeah, and I mean the book that people most often reference as a Korean cookbook is Momofuku, yes. which in this book explains really isn't Korean food. Well, from David Chang's yeah. mouth, exactly, because yeah. <laughs> David Chang in the interview do not call David Chang a Korean chef. 
he uh, very explicitly says that he is not a Korean chef. So, yeah. Uh, but but really, visually, we wanted it to capture, uh, you know, the food halls, uh, the food halls in Los Angeles, you know, the Korean food halls there, or or, or the the really uh, rural commu- uh, Korean scene in Duluth, Georgia, which is a community twenty five miles north of Atlanta. So there's these. We found this wonderful pochamacha, which was also a karaoke bar, uh, in this deserted strip mall, and it was just there in the distance, and we saw it, and it had a had a hangul on the sign and we walked in and we had a, one of our more uh, lively evenings of the of the tour um but yeah <laughs> i mean no, dc chicago san francisco i mean these these aren't just pockets these are large vibrant communities of, mm-hmm. of korea towns all over this nation yeah absolutely we you know korea town isn't necessarily a, a physical space it's it's a mentality that's really what we write about often in the book so we did cover these large communities these los angeles and the and the new yorks but we also did cover western michigan and we went to you know philadelphia a place that doesn't have a large korean scene but it has a few restaurants and i think the purpose of the book is to say that there are korean americans living in throughout the country and cooking the food uh proudly in these small restaurants so, Dookie, I want to talk about bibimbap with you because I feel like uh, um, most Americans have that meal where they clean out the fridge, um, but they don't have a name for it as as elegant and you know something that looks as beautiful and vibrant as bibimbap. Uh, was was that something that you looked forward to as a kid, um, or look forward to making for yourself after a long night shift, or did it just feel like eating for sustenance? No, absolutely, and that's such a great. Uh, great point too in that we our our cookbook we actually focused on we didn't want to um, I remember the exact conversation I was having with Matt we're like can we not do uh, a tacky bibimbap recipe with spinach and blah 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 and we were just on the same point like not to not for the sake of being different but you know bibimbap for me or at least you know the Korean culture for me is like it's not like Korean it's not like dolled up like like it is to kind of the public. You know, for me, it's, you know, empty out your fridge. It's like the panchan that's going bad, like almost going bad. Throw that in there, you know, fry up an egg and then, you know, uh, put some spicy curry and uh, chili paste on it, and then that's your meal. Um, and we really, we call it uh, like a breakup pibimbap, or in the book, I say I think we say it's a, this is not a pibimbap recipe, pibimbap recipe. Um, and it's just all about that kind of that loose term of, like you said, like, just after you end work, what are you going to do? You're not going to go create, you know, you're not going to go cook some, you know, little foie or whatever, or whatever you do, you know, you're going to just empty out your fridge, uh, have some day-old rice, mix it up, and hope to God it tastes good. And um, <laughs> our, even for our recipe is that. We're like, hey, you can make all the pansans in the front end of this book. You're going to have leftovers. Why don't you guys, whenever it's time, um, you know, just mix it all up in a bowl of rice and then call it a day. Maybe you know, throw an egg on top of it. It's always good to have that egg on top. Got to throw that egg on top of it, right, man? <laughs> well, egg is crucial. Egg is. I mean, it's not a. It's not for me. I can't eat anything. I, I get. I eat the same thing. You know, I go to the restaurant and I just ask my guys for the same thing. And then every anything that they make me, they always put two eggs on top. Of it. So <laughs> that's the only way to have it. Yeah. So let's talk about those bases: uh, uh, gochujang, dojang, and yeah. what is the other uh, one? Ganjan. Ganjan. 
they're the building blocks of Korean food. I mean, really, tenjang, D-O-E-N-J-A-N-G, is uh, fermented bean paste. Uh, you're finding that in, in many things. You're finding that in meat marinades. You're finding that in soups. Tenjang jjigae is probably the most common soup. You're going to find it at breakfast. You're going to find it at dinner time and lunch. In between, uh, gojijang is the one that's most known. That's the fermented bean paste with peppers added to it, so pepper flakes and, and a little bit more heat. And then ganjan is really just Korean soy sauce. Uh, but it has a little bit, you know, there's different st- styles of soy sauce. There's lighter soy sauce for soup, and there's more bro- robust ones for sauces. But they really are the fundamental building blocks. And outside of that, you're going to find a larder or a pantry that's really kind of Western. You know, there's garlic, there's ginger, there's things that you're going to be using in, in your everyday cooking. You know, sesame oil. These are things that you'll find at every uh, health food store. Uh, to Kroger, you're going to find these things. Uh, it's not like uh, doing a Thai book. You know, a Thai book would have a lot of exotic herbs, a lot of, um, you know, pastes that require a lot of um, manipulation of the products. You know, Korean food is, is relatively simple. It's not the simplest cuisine. It's not like cooking uh, Western, you know, French food, you know, where you're going to have most things available at the bodega. But really, you're, you're going to be shocked when you see some of these ingredient lists, it's like it's like you're cooking, you know, anything you'd find in the New York Times. Yeah, I mean, that's what I found so interesting. It's such a kind of pared down pantry um, that it's it's a little bit choose your own adventure mm-hmm. because if you have these specific bases, you can cook almost everything in the whole book. It's not like Absolutely. like like you said, uh, Thai books or some other ethnic cuisines where you have to pretty much buy everything to start from zero. Yeah. You have to buy a few things and you get this exponential, you know, menu that you, you get to, you know, um, cook from, mm-hmm. which is exciting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like Koreans, like the condiments, you'll see you skim through the recipes. It's like the same three or four kind of base, uh, like the fermented soybean paste and the chili paste that you can really uh, kind of, it forms into different dishes, but not only like stews, but even barbecue, like like Matt said, marinades, and then like panchan. So, um, you know, it's very simple in kind of in in theory. Um, it's not easy to make well. So it's kind of like Japanese food. If you're not working with a lot of ingredients, and if a guy just gives you a, a fish and say, "All right, make it taste good," you know, it's all about the technique and 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 the uh, just the goodness of the, uh, the quality of the ingredients. And you know, I think Korean food is very similar in that if the tenjang is bad. If the fermented soybean paste, fermented chili paste is bad, there's nothing you're going to do to it to make it good uh, and, and to make it a tasty Korean dish. And um, we've kind of adopted that. Like in our recipes, you'll see the same stream of uh, ingredients. So it's approachable to people, too, and saying, okay, I could, I, th- I could do this. I could buy a couple of, you know, two or three of these, and then I can make four or five or six, seven recipes. So I feel like that's a little bit more approachable than, yeah, getting a, yeah. you know, emptying out your whole pantry and refilling it. And Michael, let me throw it back at you. Do you, you know, you're, you've written, you've worked on Japanese books and you're, you're very fluent with Japanese cooking. Have you made much Korean food in your house? No, well, part of it, I, I'm allergic to shrimp, so okay. I was always scared of uh, certain kimchis having shrimp paste in them. Um, for some odd reason, no. And okay, yeah. I, I use gochujang, and what I think is amazing about Korean food and fascinating about this book is that you guys wanted to preserve Koreatown as is because... Korean food has found itself in so many other mm-hmm. cuisines. Um, and one of my favorite parts of your book is actually uh, like Amanda Cohen from Dirt Candy yeah. giving you Korean fried broccoli yeah. or, you know, finding uh, Munchen, you know, pickles in Tyler Cord's sandwich at number seven. Um, not in this book. I, I've 
been to Sarah Jenkins Porcina a couple times, mm. uh, you know, during lunchtime when they're not actually open, and she'll make like a kimchi, grilled oh. cheese with kimchi, yes. and just to see the latitude of Korean ingredients. I have cooked mm. with Korean food, but have I cooked Korean food? Mm-hmm. That that's where I, I'm not sure if I've um, answered well, your question. It was it's a big big point that we want to bring to light with Koreatown is that these recipes. Uh, are traditional. You know, we we did uh, make a point to separate the two. We had our our eighty five recipes, which are traditional, and our our last chapter, which is called respect, which is Korean uh, American chefs doing Korean their play on Korean food. So um, you're seeing Paul Key make a grilled cheese uh, with um, Mount Tam. Uh, triple cream and a, a green apple and you know some nori and some beautiful uh, like a Hawaii bun and toasted uh, beautifully. So he you know his, that's his spin on it. Oh, gojujang mayo, of course, gotta put that in there. Mm-hmm. But but really, we want people to to make those dishes. Of course, we really want someone to make like a, a solantang at home, which is a, a long stewing bone broth, and you know throw in a little bit of green onion and some salt and some noodles, and you've got yourself a really traditional Korean meal. Uh, you might surprise yourself. It's So conversely, we talked about this being drinking food. If you make the food, do you have to drink to enjoy it? Uh, No way. I mean, Dookie, you're not a big drinker yourself, and you've had this food your whole life. What do you think? Yeah, no, I I just got made fun of yesterday for being (laughs) Korean and not drinking. This is really weird. But I guess that's our kind of public perception that all Koreans can drink. But um, no, our food is great in that it has that kind of multi uh, kind of aspect here where yeah it's um it goes really well with uh, a glass of beer but you know it's actually absolutely delicious and super flavorful um just by itself and i think kind of people forget that like oh man like it's gonna be like heavy salty like really spicy um and yes there's a lot of dishes like that but um you'll see a lot of subtleties in, in korean cooking where it's just all about kind of the, the ingredients and um perfect example would be like we do sashimi uh, which is kind of like the Japanese raw fish. And for us, we do that same exact thing. Uh, for us, it's a little bit different, but it's super subtle. Um, goes well with a glass of soju, but it goes well with just as a meal, too. So, uh, yeah, I'm not a big drinker myself. I'm not, not crazy into it, uh, and I enjoy all the dishes mm-hmm. in the book. So, Yeah, I mean, I love that you you brought up Hui, which is the Korean-style sashimi. Mm-hmm. It just it shows this difference in, in the cuisine. So, like, yeah. sashimi has been mellowed out for a week or so different in korea in korea they pull the fish directly from the tanks and butcher it in the back and you're you're given that that platter you know 30 minutes after the kill and instead of there being um, a little bit of wasabi or soy sauce you're getting something called chojang which is gojujang and and rice vinegar and maybe some pineapple juice and you're dipping it in uh into this crimson sauce and it's it's chewy you know it's rigor mortis is set into this fish and you're eating you're chewing and chewing and chewing and that's just the way they love it in Korea. And it's uh, maybe a glass of beer is brought up, but maybe there's you know maybe there's a tea. Uh, but really, it's it's these types these dishes we want to talk about and bring to the public with Koreatown. Hui want Hui to be something that people talk about, and chefs maybe will do their riff on fresh killed fish. I mean, it's not something you're really seeing in in Western restaurants right now. Yeah, no, I mean, I'd love to see Koreatown um, move past you know that that block in New York. Well, yeah. thirty five. 35th Street as well, but okay. um, want to see it in so many other kitchens, not just as elements of cuisine, but mm-hmm. cuisine as a whole. Um, but, you know, the one thing I was missing from this book, 
was that you have such a background uh, in, in music. Yeah. And, Doogie, I know you guys went out and karaoke at least once or twice during you know, the two years of oh, traveling. Never, never did that. <laughs> what, what are your jams, oh, and ooh. are you willing to give us a little, uh, <laughs> a little sing-song? <laughs> well, I'll start. Um, I love Foreigner Feels Like the First Time. I was, ass- I was assuming that it was going to be a foreigner song. Feels like the first. I mean, that that's you asked for it and yeah, I give it. Yeah. I delivered it and there has been no drinking in this, yeah. uh, in this booth. But <laughs> I once performed that on a beach in Sarasota uh, in front of 75 people. Uh, the microphone cord was 120 feet long. I don't know why I was given this opportunity, but I took full advantage of it. Yeah. I feel like if this book was printed 10 years ago, there would have been a CD in the back, you know, with, with a, a list of karaoke songs to enjoy while cooking it's... Korean food. Dookie, what's yours on the spot? Um, uh, um, Sorry, I can't, I can't really hear you. Uh-oh. I think he's just avoiding the he question. Totally and I'm going to let him off the hook <laughs> and just thank the both of you for, yeah, you know. It, it, sounds like, it sounds like you guys are having a lot more fun in rainy New York than I'm having in sunny paradise Hawaii. So okay. Yeah. Shut like, up. Yeah, Shut we'll, up. We'll see you on 32nd Street have some <laughs> corn cheese. <laughs> well, you should go out not only to 32nd Street, K-Town here in New York and the K-Towns all around the country, but get Koreatown, the cookbook. And thank you, Matt and Dookie, for bringing that to life. Thanks, Michael, for having us. It's oh, really been so a pleasure. Much. Cheers. You've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. Hope to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.